This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Well, good morning. We are going to be in Psalm 128 this morning as we continue our study of the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 128. I'm going to read through it before we pray. Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time in your word. Another opportunity for us to hear you, to see you, to know you better. And Father, that is my prayer, that you would do that for us, that you would show us the grace of speaking to us yet again. That as as we just sang, Lord, we would have yet another reason for praise to fill our mouths. Father, all of this I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, because He is our Savior. Amen. So, as I was reading this psalm this week, I couldn't help but try to think about the the memories that I have of when Shannon and I were in the thick of of parenting, the the racing around, all the the stuff that, that this psalm brings to mind. But for some reason, my memories didn't seem to quite line up with Psalm 128. I feel like if I were to write this psalm, it might go something like this. I'd I'd leave the part at the beginning, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. But then I'd probably have to say something like this, if I were being honest, if Psalm 128 was about my family. You will eat the crushed hamburger and cold fries. From the bottom of the fast food bag your kids stepped on before you got home, anxiety and fatigue will be yours. Your wife, who is also a mother, cook, housekeeper, chauffeur, and part-time therapist and tutor, will be like a stressed-out vine. Your your younger kids will sneeze pumpkin-flavored baby food in your open mouth while you're trying to feed them, and your older ones will wreck your car's among other things that cause heart problems and hair loss. Thus is the man who fears the Lord blessed. (laughs) You? I mean, I don't know if you relate to that or not, but that sounds more like my version of Psalm 128. So what are we supposed to do with this? What do we do with the idea that this psalm seems to kind of be idealizing family life. Well, before we jump into the guts of it, there's a couple things we need to clarify in order to be able to answer that question. 
For example, the first thing we need to clarify is that this psalm is what's called wisdom literature. It's called wisdom literature, meaning it's intended to teach godly principles, not guaranteed promises. It's intended to teach godly principles, not guaranteed promises. It's intended to teach the general truths of life without answering all of the what-ifs. It's kind of a description of how things should go if everything was perfect. Which means if we want to rightly interpret this psalm, we need to focus more on the principle and less on the details. Meaning we need to focus less on the labor and the family in verses 2 and 3 and focus more on the fear and the blessing in the bookends of verses 1 and 4. In other words, the general principle that this psalm is, is saying is that those who fear the Lord will be blessed. That those who fear the Lord will be blessed. And back in their time, the greatest example one could imagine for that blessing would be a big family. I mean, if you're in an agrarian family, more kids meant more people to help in the fields and, and in the kitchen. To people who didn't have 401ks and pensions, a family meant someone to take care of you when you couldn't work anymore. I mean, to people who didn't have TVs or iPhones, you'd watch your kids do whatever kids did back then. It was entertainment, companionship. A large, close-knit family was, was the ideal blessing back then. So that's the example the psalmist uses to illustrate this idea of being blessed because you fear the Lord. That's the first thing we need to clarify. Wisdom literature teaches us principles, not promises. And that's what we're going to really focus on this morning. We're going to focus on the principle that everyone who fears the Lord is blessed. Everyone who fears the Lord is blessed. But that leads to the second thing we need to clarify before we jump into this psalm. And, and that's we need to clarify a couple of words that don't really mean the same thing to us as they did back then. The first word we need to define that shows up in verse 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 is blessed. Because it means something more than what we think it means. Technically, the, the, the literal translation of the Hebrew word blessed is just happy. It's just happy, but, but it means more than just jovial or, or glib. It's a, it's a word that speaks to an inner state of being. In other words, it's, a, it's an internal happiness that springs not from external circumstances, but from being content and satisfied and fulfilled. In other words, those who fear the Lord will be happy from the inside out because they were both content and fulfilled, which brings us to the other word we need to define that shows up in verse 1 and verse 4, which is fear. Because for the most part, when we hear the word fear, we simply just think of, of fright or terror, something like that. And that's certainly part of what this word means, but not all. You see, that word fear comes from the same root word, or the same root word for fear also makes up the Hebrew words for goat and hare. Didn't know that, did you? You see, to them, for example, fear was related to hare in the same way we might say, like, the hair stood up on the back of your neck, or goosebumps. Meaning, 
sometimes scary, that happens, but, but also sometimes like awe or amazement when you get that hair standing up kind of a sensation. But the root word for fear in Hebrew is also the same root word for goat. Because goats were hairy and not woolly, it's part of it, but more so because goats are more aware of their surroundings. They're more skittish than sheep. In fact, the shepherds used to, used to often watch the goats for signals of, of impending you know, danger coming close. In other words, the Hebrew word for fear also has this sense of being aware, being conscious of, of, of something. Think of it this way. I'm sure you've either experienced this or seen a video on it, but what happens when lightning strikes very close to someone? It does not matter how macho they are. Pride and strength evaporate as they scream like a little girl and run for cover. It doesn't matter who you are. It's terrifying. However, when you see it from far off, lightning is also beautiful and captivating. And the idea of fear in the Hebrew mind is kind of like that. It's not a static thing. It's something like terror and awe and reverence and, and awareness and, and even appreciation all wrapped up into one. Think of it like a spectrum with complete terror on one end, captivating admiration on the other end, and the middle filled up mostly with a, a reverent awe. We see this reverence actually in the second line of verse 1 where the fear the psalmist is describing, it's not characterized by paralyzing terror, but by reverent obedience. He says in the second line of verse 1, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So walking in his ways is a description of someone who fears the Lord. So with that, we're ready to look at this principle that everyone who fears the Lord, meaning everyone who has this reverent awe for the Lord is blessed or happy because of an internal contentment. And for those of you who were here last week, we're going to look at Psalm 128 the same way as we did Psalm 127. We're going to run through it real quick to get its basic meaning. But again, for those of you who were here last week, I want you to keep your ears open for the same big problem that we had in Psalm 127. It's going to be the same here. If you weren't here last week, then it's going to be a surprise. So look at verse 2. Psalm 128, verse 2, where the first thing the psalmist says is that everyone who fears the Lord is blessed with profitable labor. He's blessed with profitable labor. He says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Now, there's a couple reasons why simply eating the fruit of your own labor was a big deal to them. It's not as much of a big deal to us. It's almost an entitlement to us. But to them, it was a big deal. Like, imagine if your paycheck, some of you won't have to try very hard, but imagine if your paycheck was as consistent as rain. Would you have a different understanding of consistent pay? Well, for the most part, these people were farmers, and simply eating the fruit of your labor was a huge blessing. All was good in the world when you didn't have to worry about starving over the winter because you got enough rain to, to turn your labor into fruit. But there's another reason eating the fruit of your own labor was such a blessing. 
And that's because oftentimes the ground you farmed wasn't yours. And the people who own the land, they ain't going to starve. Think about it this way. What does that mean if you have a lean year? Who gets the short end of the stick when there's a, a low yield? Like imagine if, if your boss's income was based on how much you made, but your boss's income was guaranteed and yours was not. Like this was an incredible blessing because they got to not only have fruit from their labor, but also they were able to keep that fruit for themselves. So the psalmist says, everyone who fears the Lord is blessed with profitable labor. But look at verse 3, where the psalmist also says that everyone who fears the Lord is blessed with a productive family. He says they are blessed with a productive family. He says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Now, I want to jump into this topic head first. Because one of the saddest things I see today in our culture is the lie that has been perpetrated on women regarding the home. Our culture has told women that their worth comes from being equal to men. From their ability to earn and, and be independent and contribute outside the home just like a man does. And they've been told that being stuck in home, well, that's demeaning. That's patronizing. That's even embarrassingly inferior. And worse, men, just like Adam, have played right along. Happy for their wives to go to work so that they don't have to work so hard. When the truth is this, listen, especially the, the young ladies in here. The truth is this, the most beautiful thing in the world is a woman who makes her home a place of refuge and comfort for her family. That's beautiful. Not because she's inferior. That's the lie, not because she's inferior, but because that's the incredibly and, and desperately important noble task for which God designed her. And if your man thinks differently, young ladies, find a new one or come see me, one of the two. I think Martin Luther said it well. When he said, let the wife make her husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. Listen, ladies and husbands as well, because you're the ones who need to be leading in this. Don't for a second believe the lie that if you stay home, you're somehow less, somehow insignificant, somehow beneath others. That couldn't be further from the truth. A woman who, like a fruitful vine, spends her days keeping her home is beautiful. Not only in my eyes, but most importantly, the Lord's. And if you still feel like that is inferior, then I'll be the first to tell you that is kingdom work. 
That is kingdom work for which your creator has especially created you. A, a rigorously glorious calling. And, and, and moving on, the part at the end of verse 3 about the children being olive shoots, that's also interesting because you see, olives were not staples back then. They were luxuries. Olives were a sign of abundance because just like children, they took a ton of work, a lot of pruning, a lot of watching, and, and they even call it disciplining. You would discipline the olive tree. But the result was a blessing. You see, even though this psalm was written to people who lived thousands of years ago, it, it, there is still a ton of truth to be gleaned from it today. Because our culture, our, cultural, our, our culture sees cars and cash and comfort as blessings. And they see the fear of the Lord as standing in the way of those things. And just like that, it, it, contrary to Scripture, our culture also blesses men who succeed at work and fail at home. The epidemic that we have of fatherless homes, of, of upside-down homes in our society is the result of a culture that praises financial gain and demeans the family. When the truth is, just like the psalmist says, it still stands, the principle still stands. Those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways, the ways that He established for the family, those people, they're blessed. They're happy, they're satisfied, they're fulfilled with a productive family, with a home that is a refuge. Not a revolving door. Lastly, look at verse 5 and 6. Where the psalmist says that not only is everyone who fears the Lord blessed with profitable labor and a productive family, but he says everyone who fears the Lord is blessed with a prolonged life. A prolonged life. Life. He says, the Lord bless you from Zion. You may, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now, I know that part about seeing the prosperity of Jerusalem can make a Reformed Christian a little nervous. We don't talk about prosperity in church because that's wrong. But that word seeing there in verse 5, it's, it's not just like, May your optical nerves send electric impulses to your brain. That's not what that means. It means more like captivate you. And that word prosperity isn't just financial like we think of it. It's, it's more like well-being or good fortune. In other words, verse 5 is saying something like, May you be amazed by the well-being of Jerusalem. Or, or may you live long enough to be captivated by how God continuously blesses his people. And frankly, as simple as and outdated as it sounds, that you can live longer by doing this. The principle that people who fear the Lord live longer, better lives is true. Again, it's not a promise, but the principle is true. We see this borne out in, in simple things like statistics that say that happily married couples live longer than those who don't, or who aren't. Or like, let me put it, find me someone who has lived a life of sin, who has lived a life of not fearing the Lord, and I'll show you someone who hasn't aged well. If you fear the Lord, if you walk in His ways, 
if you live at peace with other people and steward your body and your possessions well, generally speaking, you live longer than someone who doesn't. Because this principle, it still holds true. Those who fear the Lord are blessed with prolonged life. Now, everything I just said is true and right. Generally speaking, the principle of it. But again, if we leave this psalm here, which is where most people leave it, again, I would challenge you to find someone teaching this psalm that doesn't leave it there. If we do leave it there, we have a big, big problem. A big problem. And listen, it's not just that the principle doesn't always hold true. That's not the big problem. That's easy. No, the bigger problem here is that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said he came to fulfill the Old Testament. And in Luke 24 and John chapter 5, Jesus said that the Old Testament was preparing us for him, that it was pointing to him. Meaning Jesus himself said that Psalm 128 somehow was pointing to him, somehow was saying something about him. But Jesus didn't have a family, much less a productive one. And I certainly would not use Jesus in an ad for a better prolonged life. <laughs> so was Jesus wrong? Have we found the one passage in the Old Testament that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus? Or, or maybe did Jesus not fear the Lord? Is that the problem? Or have we missed something? Well, my answer from last week hasn't changed. You probably know that. I think we must have missed something. Because if you remember last week, I mentioned a very important principle, and I want to mention it again. When it comes to interpreting passages like this in the Old Testament, the Bible is very clear that without Jesus, the Old Testament is incomplete. It's unfulfilled. Meaning, you need Jesus to understand and unlock the, the, the Old Testament. Which means, here's the principle again, we must use the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. We must use Jesus to interpret the Old Testament, which means we need to interpret Psalm 128, not by just directly applying it to our lives, but by what it says in light of Christ. What does Psalm 128 say if we overlay Christ on top of it? Well, just like last week, what I, what I want to do is run back through Psalm 128 real quick and look at what it means in light of Christ. Because when you add Christ to any equation, it gets better. doesn't matter what it is, it gets better. For example, we already saw in verse 2 that everyone who fears the Lord is blessed with profitable labor. But listen, everyone who fears the Lord in Christ is blessed with the fruit of his labor. Not their own. They're blessed with the fruit of his labor. I mean, sure, you might be able to fix things. I'll give that to you. Jesus can fix people just with his words. Maybe you can build something. Awesome. Jesus builds universes. Maybe you can make bread rise in an oven. Good for you. Jesus can raise people from the dead. Meaning, 
Whatever your labor, Jesus's is better. Whatever your effort, Jesus's is better, which means whatever fruit you are blessed with from your labor, the fruit you get from Jesus's labor is better. For example, your labor might give you peace for a while. You might reap a harvest of one thing or another from, from what your efforts are, and it might give you some satisfaction and well-being for a while. But eventually your harvest will wane. Eventually your peace will go away, whether it's because of age or weather or markets or unforeseen circumstances or just because you used everything and it ran out. Eventually, your labor will be unfruitful in one way or another, but not so with the peaceful fruit of Jesus' labor. That's a peace that doesn't go away. That's a never-ending, ever-growing peace that transcends circumstances and surpasses all understanding. It's a peace the Protestants had while they were singing hymns when they were being burned at the stake. That's the fruit you get from the labor of Jesus Christ, is to praise God while you're dying. You might be able to find hope in your labor for a while. It might give you the ability to hope in something, a government, a, a monetary system, a, a military for a while, but eventually that hope will fail. Eventually, that hope will decay, that hope will be conquered, and you will be left vulnerable and hopeless. What then? Well, those who fear in the Lord, in, who fear the Lord in Christ, are blessed with the fruit of His labor. And another fruit of His labor is a far better hope. Brothers and sisters, the fruit of Christ's labor, it's a hope that is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's kept in heaven for you. It's a hope that is dependent on the one whom lightning asks permission to strike. It's a hope that is anchored to the throne of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's just two examples of the fruit of Christ's labor that we have to enjoy the list goes on and on and on, but it's not just the fruit of His labor that we're blessed with. No, when we look at verse 3, in light of Christ, we see that everyone who fears the Lord in Christ is also blessed with the fellowship of Christ's family. We're blessed with the fellowship of His family, not just our own. Sure, you have a family. Maybe it's just you as a single person, or maybe there's a bunch of you. Maybe your family is characterized by, by grace and, and love. Maybe your family is characterized by, by conflict and, and, and separation. It doesn't matter. Christ's family is better. You could send out those wishy-washy little rub-it-in-your-nose Christmas cards of you on a beach. Christ's family is still better. And the reason his family is better is because it is still growing both in quantity and quality. The family of God is growing in numbers, and there is no such thing as a family member of God who is not becoming more Christ-like. doesn't exist. If you're old, and let's just be, let's be open, honest, this is a safe place. Some of you are approaching your expiration date. <laughs> 
if that's you, if you're here, your family has more children than you need to take care of you in your elderly age. Let's say you're young. Lord knows there's plenty of you in here. Listen, young folks, you would be foolish not to take advantage of the decades of wisdom and advice that is available to you in this room through your mothers and fathers in Christ. Whatever age you are, in Christ you have been blessed with a family that can and will support you and care for you and help you and on and on and on and on. You need a shoulder to cry on. There's somebody in this room who God has specifically gifted to be that person for you. Do you need to be encouraged because you're feeling shame or doubt? There's someone in this room who God has gifted to do that for you. Whatever you need, someone is in this room some part of Christ's family to help you, even if your nuclear family does not. You have a difficult decision you need to make, a difficult circumstance. There's someone in here. Shoot, do you need someone to just tell you that what you're doing is wrong? There's somebody in here for that too. Everyone who fears the Lord in Christ is blessed with the fruit of His labor and the fellowship of His family. Lastly, Look at verse 5 and 6. Because it says, Everyone who fears the Lord in Christ is blessed not just with a prolonged life, but with His life forever. Listen, when you fear the Lord, when you stand in reverent awe of Him, you will obey Him. And you will obey the most important command that he has ever given you. And that's to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Full stop. Period. And when you do, when you do believe that, you are given the most beautiful, incredible gift, blessing of all. You are blessed, not just with a few extra years tacked on to the end of your life because you drove the speed limit and ate enough kale. You are blessed with His eternal life. You are blessed with life everlasting in the very presence of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are blessed with millennia to get to know Him, to, to, to worship Him like you never thought you could. I often say this, how many millennia are we going to spend on, in heaven on our face before the MC's like, okay, you may rise. And then we get to start to know God better. You are blessed with an eternity in reverent awe of a God who, who drives you to your knees while at the same time makes you want to stand and praise. Brothers and sisters, listen, those who fear the Lord in Christ are blessed we are blessed with the fruit of Christ's labor. We are blessed with the fellowship of His family. And we are blessed with the foreverness of His life. Does the world see this in you? Does the world see a happiness pouring out of you from the inside because of how blessed you are in Him? The gifts that you have, 
the family that you have, does the Lord see this? Because ours is the same commission, the same glad message, ours. Fired by the same ambition, to him we yield our powers. We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord.